Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Allison Park Leadership Podcast, where we have culture-creating conversations. Uh, I'm one of your hosts. My name is Dave. And my name is Jeff, and we're glad you've joined us. So uh, Dave and I, of course, father and son, and, and uh, I'm the lead pastor at Allison Park Church. Dave's the campus pastor at the North Side. And do we have any shout-outs today for yeah. those who are our listeners? Some quick gratitudes for those that have left us recent five-star reviews on Spotify, or not Spotify, excuse me, on Apple Podcasts. So thank you to Dr. Alien. That's a great name, by the way. Um, <laughs> PTS Mats, which I feel like we've done. So PTS Mats, if you've left several reviews, good for you. Yeah. Appreciate that. And then uh, Dana Gig. I think Dana Gig is how you say that, Dana Gig. So thank you for for your kind reviews. And if you'd like to get a shout out as well, we would love to have you do that. Um, if you just go on your Apple Podcast app, you can leave a five-star review there. We'd love to shout you out. Um, you could also do the same thing on Spotify, but unfortunately we can't see your name. So, But either way is super helpful to us. And if you haven't done that, but you're a faithful listener, thank you as well for being a part of this. We we appreciate you know you, you being a part of the 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 show, I guess, mm-hmm. is what we yeah. call this. And so, yeah, thank you for that. So, all right. Want to get into it today? Yeah, let's go for it. So um, we've kind of had this topic on the radar for a little while, but it's just, it's a, this is another one of those very sensitive ones that sometimes falls Oof, off. This is a really sensitive topic. So uh, we did a couple last year that were, you know, highly sensitive. This will be, for season five, probably one of the most because it's so impacting to people's personal lives. So go ahead yeah, and give so, us the So basically, the topic. T- yeah, today we're going to be talking about how does God feel about divorce and remarriage? Yeah. It's the idea. How does God feel about divorce and remarriage? I think to, to like, a, a simple answer at, at the baseline of it all is obviously, you know, the, the rate of marriage is ending is obviously something that I think nobody's surprised to hear that that saddens the heart of God, that... There's a lot of rampant divorce, yeah. not just among the general population, but hard, even among Christian communities. It's I don't think that's just Christian. I think anybody who has walked through divorce, no one gets married thinking, wow, hopefully we can last a year. Yeah, right? right. Everybody gets married thinking that they're gonna last a lifetime. And so um but I think there's less people getting married because of so much marriage failure. I think there's probably less of a faith in the concept of marriage in the popular culture. I think there's more people who have experienced divorce than ever before in in our society. And I think that there's a lot of things that have changed in our culture, both church culture, I don't mean just Allison Park, I mean overall, and, and Western culture when it comes to the view of divorce and marriage and covenant and remarriage. And, and so it's one of those, again, intensely personal things, because if you've been through it or are going through it, whew. It, it's so we have this sort of combination, and we're looking going to look at objective truth according to the scripture, and we're going to f- do that through the uh, filter of personal experiences, and yet at the same time we want to do it without compromise, mm-hmm. and so that's that's the challenge of this particular topic and many others as well. And and the issue with this particular topic is that. And we, I won't start here right away. I think we should start by talking about covenant, which actually is the sermon series you're yeah. in the middle of right now, right, by the way. Right. So, but, I, but I'll say quickly: mm-hmm. the challenge with this is there's probably more that Jesus has to say on this topic than is often talked about in Christian circles. Yeah. Like, well, Jesus is very radical when it comes to marriage. So don't go so, there yet. Don't go there yet. Yeah. So that, I, I think that's, that's what why. makes this. So a lot of times, what makes the scriptures complicated is we see that the Old Testament is pretty radical about some things, and yeah, maybe right. Jesus 
gives us a view of it that that gives a little bit of grace. But actually, Jesus's comments on marriage are pretty pretty intense. They're they as, are pretty intense, as intense as anything that you'd read anywhere else in the scripture. So, so why don't why don't we start by talking about let's let's just build our foundation of theology with marriage and covenants in general. Right now, you're in the series. Um, We're calling uh, it fine print, and yeah. basically, there is a, a hidden code in the scripture that has to do with the word covenant. And Jesus, when he in, inter, introduces communion, um, Luke chapter twenty-two, he says, "This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me." We divide the the Bible into two sections: the old covenant and the new covenant. Mm. Better said, maybe the first covenant, which is the covenant made with Israel. And the second covenant, or the new and final covenant, which is the covenant made through Christ to all people. So the Bible is divided in terms of covenants, and we see Jesus introducing his uh, concept of relationship with us through this covenant language. But Western culture doesn't do covenants. In fact, I think the only covenant relationship we actually have in Western culture is marriage. Mm -hmm. Almost everything we do in our culture is contracts. Contracts and covenants are very different. So can I can I start by defining this word covenant? Yeah, go ahead. So this is just in the English language. Covenant means an agreement to do or not do or a particular thing, or to enter into a promise, or to enter into or promise something by a covenant. Um, yeah, that's a that's a very very simple def- definition. How about this? How about this? I'm looking through <laughs> other definitions. A pact or binding agreement between two or more parties. Yeah, which 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 then according to Eastern ancient biblical culture is a to-death commitment, mm-hmm. right? So um, the phrase in the marriage covenant, um, for better, for worse, for, for richer, for poor, in sickness and health, until death do us part. So covenants were binding unto death. Yeah. Often they'd involved cutting the shedding of blood as a reminder of how serious it was. Yeah, right? so, so a covenant between... Two two guys, two business people, that, two be, that become blood brothers. Yeah. You would make a cut on your palm. Um, they would they would do the same thing, and you would shake hands and intermingle the blood together. Right, and that would be a sign that now we're we're more than family. And if anybody attacks you or your family, we'll come to your aid, and vice yeah. versa. We'll we become you. one. Yeah, our daughters two, would often daughters and sons would intermarry. We were our two family. our two families our two lives are now intertwined and and we are inseparable. And mm-hmm. um, you see this great moment. I love the phrases of this where Ruth says to her mother-in-law, so both of them had lost their husbands. Ruth is a from the nation of Moab, Naomi from the nation of Israel. They're both grieving. Ruth is young and vibrant and could have married again, but she says to her mother-in-law, "Don't urge me to leave you or turn back. Where you go, I will go." Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. This is covenant. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the oath of a covenant relationship. Mm-hmm. She says, I'm bound to you for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And who you are is, is who I will be. And I'm going to be where you are. I'm going to die where you die. So I've actually had people in a marriage ceremony read this. Like yeah. this is this is what we're saying to each other uh, when we make covenant together. So, what's the difference between an American business contract and an ancient Eastern covenant? The yeah. way we're talking about it. Now? So, a business contract is you do this, I'll do that. 
and this is binding as long as we both fulfill the conditions. If, it, if, if the conditions are violated, then the relationship's over, we tear up the contract, and maybe I sue you mm. for the breach of contract. So it's, it's conditional. Uh, covenant relationships are unconditional. Covenant relationships are, this is not based upon your performing your side. It is binding. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Ruth doesn't say, I'll be with you, Niobe, for the rest of my life as long as you treat me properly. That would be a contract. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, let's decide together what the terms of this agreement are, and we'll be together as long as. Like, that's why the marriage, the marriage covenant says things like, for worse, for poorer, in sickness, yeah, yeah. right? Okay, no matter what, uh, we are bound together for life. Yeah. Now, I know that's that's the radical version of it, but that let's just take it out of marriage for a moment and just say that was the concept of covenant. And when we're talking about this, Dave, this is what's so incredible. What's at stake here is less about marriage, and it's more about how God wants us to understand His commitment to us. Yeah. Like, so God's concern over the integrity of covenants that are made is less about human interaction, and it's more about His interaction with us. Well, it's probably about both things. It it, it is, but primarily He wants us to understand how dead serious He is about a relationship with us. Yes. That He gets into relationship not based upon contractual terms, but based upon His covenant will. Let me me add some thoughts to this definition a little bit, because I think I have some more, I have another facet to, to. talk through. I think the other part about covenant that stands out to me is that a contract is transactional. Mm-hmm. It's often done over one specific like item. Like so we're we're making a, a contract over the the deed to land or to a house mm-hmm. or a business contract. Whereas a covenant is Based more of a relationship. An, and it's an identity. Yeah, it's an identity. It's, it's tied to who I am. It's tied to my honor. It's tied to like that I, as a person, am going to be in relationship with you, not not over something. Um, what was the word? Transactional. Tempor- temporary, so, so, yeah, yeah, temporary, temporary, transactional. We'll do this and we'll complete it. This is a forever, permanent relationship. That for however things go in life, we're, we're together. We're together. And yeah. I think I think what you talk about when you talk about God with that, it's powerful to understand the covenant that we enter into with him. But it's also probably healthy for us to look at that. You know, sometimes I think it's easy to think of salvation or this relationship with God as being we pray a prayer and then he's committed to us no matter what. But really the covenant, if we're entering into a real covenant with God is, and I'm committed to him no matter what. Yeah. You know, if regardless of what this brings yeah. on my life, even to death... Even to death, yeah. I, I will honor this covenant between yeah, me and, and God. Knowing, knowing the, the terms, the, the basis of how we relate to each other is really important. So, for instance, historically, one of the major tragedies in the settle, settlements of the United States of America is that Westerners, Europeans, came over to uh, the, this, the United States, right, what is now the United States, and made relationships with Native Americans. Mm-hmm. Native American peoples tended to be, by nature, covenant, covenantal people. Mm-hmm. And Europeans tended to be contractual, transactional people. Yeah. And so when the European settlers would make agreements with Native American tribes, the tribes thought, we are now forming a binding agreement that forever this will be a relationship that we'll have. And the Europeans obviously thought, we're doing some a transaction that could change 
in 20 years if the conditions change. Yeah. And so the Europeans continually broke the Covenant. c- covenants that they had made simply because they weren't viewing it that way. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and that has caused reverberating tragedy right over the, over the timeframes. So um, yeah, that, and, and so knowing what kind of relationship you're getting into with God or with other people is really important, especially when you're getting ready to get married to know the kind of relation. This is actually often what I'll ask a couple when they, they approach me to say, will you officiate my ceremony? I'll ask the question, how do you view this relationship you're getting into? Because yeah. I want to know how they're looking at it, if they're seeing it from a contractual or covenantal Yeah, without getting into all the details, by the way, marriage was always intended to be a blood covenant. Blood, too, yeah. yeah. You know? Because when the marriage is consummated, if if people have waited until marriage, there's some blood that happens during yeah. the consummation of the marriage. <laughs> okay. But that's that's, that's PG thirteen version, yeah, PG thirteen version, right? <laughs> no, but that, that's that's that. I mean, I believe yeah. that's how God designed it to work. It's actually a blood covenant between two people uh, till death. This part, like this, is so serious that yeah, you know that right. it's it's this sort of a gravity and commitment that I'm making in my life to define the rest of my future based on this person. Yeah. And if we go back to the beginning, God God institutes this covenant relationship. So he makes covenant with Adam and Eve between the two of them, right? Adam and Eve and God. And then he says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Mm-hmm. And this institution of marriage becomes the foundation for the most important entity that God ever created, which is the family, mm-hmm. where children would be born and raised. And so so God, this is after creating the world, he gave us the institution of marriage and family yeah. based upon the concept of oneness, which is that you sort of lose your own individual identity and are merged together into a oneness yeah. that is based upon this covenant oath-based promise. Yeah, and I think I think one thing that's sometimes hard to understand from our Western, you know, American perspective is like we we all think of, our, of each other as individuals, right? I'm not defined by my family or my country or by what I'm defined by my own by set of choices and and, and, and decisions and, and more and more my feelings and yeah <laughs> my 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 own version of truth and my experience and. Whatever else I choose to define myself by is what I'm defined by. But the way Which that infinitely can change depending yeah. upon the way the wind blows. But a biblical perspective is actually that we're defined by our covenants. Yeah. In addition to our own individual. In fact, there are some consequences that that are talked about in the Bible that are actually sort of, and you can think of them as covenantal con- consequences because of sins of fathers, fathers. or grandfathers or great grandfathers. You know down three or four generations, there can be consequences. But God says he blesses those a thousand generations, you know, because he's He's so good and merciful. Um, so, yeah. like, there's this viewpoint of we're not just defined as individuals. Obviously, when it comes to, like, our own personal choice to enter into this covenant relationship with God, we're saved by grace through faith individually, as, as individuals. So even if your family has turned from God, that doesn't mean that you are now not able to access this covenant that God's allowed us to enter into. But if you do enter into the covenant with God, you're now covenant brothers with other brothers and sisters in Christ, yes. and God is your God and you're His, peop- you know, his people, you're a part of that. We yeah. are His people, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's I think it's it's important to talk about this because when we're talking about marriage and then we're talking about divorce and remarriage, we have to start with the framework 
of how God is viewing it. You know, th- this is one of those things to me that's interesting because, like, you know, um, Paul Paul talks about uh, being transformed through the renewing of our mind, which sometimes is realigning our brains and our default ways of thinking with the way that God sees things and, and, and thinking through truth that way. So even if our understanding of covenants or marriage or whatever else in life is not aligned, we, we can actually, through understanding and knowledge, begin to think more like God yeah. thinks and make diff- decisions differently. So we need that foundation yeah, to start and, with. And, you know, when society strays from God's designed plan for the world— you see the consequences of it. And so our our culture is seeing the consequences. You have fatherlessness, which is a huge problem. Yeah. When you have a, a young man or woman growing up without a dad in the in their life. Right. You have the fracturing of family. You have isolation. You have loneliness. You have uh, the wounds and traumas that, that come from the breakdown of the marriage or the family. Um, and, you have diseases, yeah. you know, that are, that are passed because of this transactional type of thing that happens between men and women, right? Right, right. Yeah. And 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 so and then you have a, a lower lower potential for fulfillment. So I, I I just saw a little clip about, you know, that there was someone saying the higher the body count, you know, which is a phrase that's used for how many people you sleep with before marriage, the less likely you are to find fulfillment in marriage or a lasting marriage. Mm-hmm. So I think the stat that they were saying is when a young woman has more than five Partners, as her body yeah. account, right? There's less, less, less percentage that she's going to be happy in her her marriage. Mm-hmm. So we start to stray away from God's design for how things are supposed to function, and you see the impact all throughout society um, f- because of that, you know, consequence. So right. I, I think now, now that that's the the objective theological side we just described. In an ideal world, everybody should get married and stay married mm-hmm. and be in love. <laughs> and God intended it to be like that way, but we live in a sin-cursed world with people who are selfish and do ridiculously hurtful things. Yeah. And so then you have people who are, they got married with a covenantal mindset, they wanted to stay married for the rest of their life, and then their partner did something that uh, maybe perpetually wounded them mm-hmm. or abused them, and now they're in a situation where their covenant is breaking down, mm-hmm. And so now the question becomes, how do you apply this objective, beautiful standard of covenant in a broken, sinful, hurtful, fractured world? Yeah. And how do we mix the ideal with the real and, can, can we, and do it in a back? way that still pleases Jesus? Can we do a quick tangent that I think is a part of the foundation, and then we'll get into that? Because I think we're really close now yeah. to examining Scripture for, for what Jesus said, but I just think one important part of this to examine is just the way that the the sexual revolution has sort of devalued this covenant act of sex that God made to be in marriage, right? Right. Because I, I like the the world's viewpoint is that the only way for us to be truly happy is to be truest to yourself, to have whatever experiences bring you pleasure and happiness. And the more restriction or restraint that society or culture puts on or us God. the less or God <laughs> yeah. yeah then the less happy you're going to be but the the thinking as if happiness is the ultimate goal yeah yeah right that that the the thing the thing that we should all strive for in life is to be as happy as possible which should be being as true to ourselves as possible as true to your own feelings 
with as little restriction or restraint from those in power or from those who are trying to put restrictions on us. So what's the alternative biblical view? The alternative biblical view is that God is the one who designed these things, such as sex and marriage, and we should stick within the boundaries that he set up for for healthy covenants, for stable relationships, for stable families, because Mm -hmm. the long-term goal is stability and happiness and a life of... Fruitfulness, but it's more than that, Dave. There is there is a virtue that comes with sacrifice. You're right. Yeah. So actually, the agape covenant based love says, "I will love you to my own hurt." Yeah. I don't have children because it fulfills me. I have children because I want to invest myself in the next generation. Mm. I don't get married because it makes me happy. Yeah. I get married because I want to give my life for my wife, and I want to live a life that is filled with the virtue of being a good husband to to the woman that God places in my my world. A lot of people have flipped it around. I have kids to be fulfilled. I get married to be fulfilled. This is to serve me rather than the outcome, really, which is the Jesus way, to lay my life down for the purpose of pleasing God by doing the things that are uh, righteous in, in serving the world that I live in. Now, the byproduct of that often is happiness. Mm. So the more I love and serve my wife and family, the often more long-term contentment and fulfillment I gain. Actually, you know, if you seek to save your life, you, you lose it. If you seek to give your life away for the cause of Christ, you gain it. So marital satisfaction, sexual satisfaction, life satisfaction, actually I think improves the more that you do it God's way. However, that's not the motivation. The motivation isn't to have a satisfying life. It's actually to to love in the way that God taught us to love, mm-hmm. and the byproduct of that, and is to live a, great, a life of integrity, and to, and yeah, honor right, and, exactly, yeah, exactly, and submission to Jesus. So this is the background. So to, so to recap, God has made a covenant with His people, which is entered into now through salvation in Jesus Christ, um, and that covenant is replicated in different ways, but it's a similar type of serious covenant within the bounds of marriage, where God has made sex and marriage to be with one partner that lasts for a lifetime, that produces a family as its own little covenant group of people, you know, blood relatives, right? Okay, so that's sort of the framework that the, the ancient Near Eastern Jews, including Jesus, would have viewed things through. And I think it's still probably the biblical framework we need to really try to align our, our lives with today. But we're gonna we're gonna talk about Jesus's views yeah. on what what's the old covenant. He talks about what the law says. So the law would have been the um, initial covenant given to God, you know, through Moses to the people of Israel. That at the time when Jesus came onto the scene, that they would have been living. It was the legal law, but it was also spiritual and moral. And so Jesus references this law, but then sort of expands on it to, yeah. to, to change our thinking in this new covenant that we now live in post the cross. Yeah, okay, so let's go there. So Matthew 19, the Pharisees who were religious Jews, who were very devoted to the law, as they often did, would bring a question to Jesus to test him to see what his rabbinical view of the world was and whether or not he was legitimately qualified to be the Messiah. And they lobbed the question to him that we're talking about today on the podcast. Some Pharisees came to him, this is Matthew 19, 3, and they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And notice what they say here, for any and every reason. So they threw it out. What's 
what's the standards in God's eyes for legitimate divorce, Jesus? Mm-hmm. Is, there, is there restrictions here? Can it, is it just because you decide you don't want to be married anymore? And Jesus says, haven't you read that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female, by the way, that little phrase right there is pretty radical in our culture. <laughs> Jesus said, the beginning, the Creator made them male and female, and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and be united, and mother, and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but are one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. We use this language in our w- wedding ceremonies. Yeah, right. This is the final thing that we say just before we say, you may now kiss your bride, Right. And so basically Jesus throws doubt and he says, you, you know what it says, right? Yeah, yeah. You're, not, you're not two, you're one. How can you separate what God has put together? You can't. Yeah. So, so they say, can you get divorced for any any reason? And he said, how could you separate this? Yeah. God put you together. You're in a covenant relationship. Yeah. And then they say, why then did Moses command that a man could give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Because Moses is the one who penned down the law that God gave And Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Okay. So there's a response that the disciples have, but do you want to give commentary on what we just heard there? Um, (laughs) Well, I'm not even really sure where to start. Why don't you talk through the response first? And okay, then, and then so after they, so Jesus basically asked him first, "Can you get divorced for any any reason?" Jesus says, "How can you separate what God's put together?" Well, let me let me say this. Let me say this commentary. Yeah. We're seeing we're seeing the terms of covenant here. Yeah, again, so this is a permanent, in, in Jesus' view, a permanent joining of two people where they're one flesh, meaning one person. So are you going to rip away this joining together that God has brought? Brought into being. This mm-hmm. is what he's saying. How can you do this? This is a severance. Not, 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 not just. It's not like how, as if, as if it's impossible. It's like almost like a why would you do this? Right. This is like a brutalizing of something that God did that should be beautiful. Yeah. And th- so the Pharisees come back and say, but, but it's in the law. Uh-huh, There's uh-huh. exceptions in the law. Yeah. And and Jesus said, yeah, but this is not God's original intention. Actually, the the provisions for divorce are only because you don't love the way God loves. Yeah. Your hearts are hard. He says, God loves you in a way that he's never going to divorce you. But I, we get it. Humans aren't that aren't there. So therefore, there is an allowance for divorce based on sexual immorality. And so if someone commits sexual immorality, that covenant can come to an end. Mm-hmm. And the disciples, it says, verse 10, having heard this, say to Jesus, not the Pharisees, the disciples, right? If this is the situation between husband and wife, it is better not to marry. And Dave, this next response of Jesus is the most intense thing. For reference, what what are we reading? Okay, Matthew chapter 19, verse 10. Okay, good, good, great. The disciples hear Jesus, you know, basically describe how intense God feels about the covenant relationship. And they say, this is the situation between a husband and wife. It's better not to marry. If you can't get a divorce... Unless uh, there's sexual immorality, there's unfaithfulness yeah. that happens, and you shouldn't. Then who would ever want to marry? Because this is way too binding. Yeah. So th- this is James and John and Peter and Andrew and you know they're oh, like yeah. that's crazy. How can anybody pin themselves down to a woman that they could never get rid of? Uh, because what happens if there are some ex- extenuating circumstances? This is this is what the disciples feel. Yeah. Honestly, this is what. We all feel like there has to be some other outs. 
because I know a friend who had this happen, and right, this is what they're asking. Yeah. They married a person, and they weren't the same person they were when they were yeah, married, yeah. and it was so unhappy. You could have a thousand examples. Right, yeah. Okay, so I agree with the disciples' question. Sure. And and this is one of the most radical things Jesus has ever said. Yeah. He goes, it was on his response to the disciples is, not everyone can accept this word, but only to whom it has been given. There are eunuchs. Okay, little description here. This is someone who has had their sexual organs removed. Yeah, castrated. Castrated. <laughs> yeah, right. So that they could tip... Typically, it was done so that they could serve a king and take care of the queen, and they'd be no threat. Yeah. Okay. So there have been eunuchs who have been born that way, and others who've been made eunuchs by others, and those who choose to live like eunuchs, meaning that they weren't castrated, but they live single for the sake of the kingdom of God. The one who can accept it should accept it. So so my, my interpretation here is Jesus says, if you get married... And it doesn't work out. If you got to cut it off, you got to cut it off. <laughs> I mean, that is. Well, I think he's more saying oh, it is so serious wow. that if you have the ability to live single, it's better to live single. Yes. Rather than risk the potential of divorce because of how intense and serious. Oh my that is. goodness! Right? Would you say that's interpretation? Yeah. So better to be single okay, than to get divorced. So Jesus teaches a radical version of monogamy. Uh huh. And he never ever wavers from that. In in anything that he says, can, can I can I clarify this for a second? I think often. So here here's where I think like the church at large in America would often it would make my thinking go here. We would go, and he does this because marriage should be so serious that it's so it's so toxic to you or your family if you get divorced. But the, his point here isn't about like the cost benefit ratio. It's not like no, no. it's not like a. Um, because divorce can be so harmful to you. It's divorce is such a like almost like a sin against God if it's done for the wrong reason. It's, it's contrary to the concept of covenant. It's contrary to the concept of marriage in general. Because the marriage in general is designed to be an unto death blood idea. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, in case some of you are listening to this right now and you're like Give me a little hope here, Pastor Jeff. I've been divorced and I'm remarried, or I'm in a situation that's really not easy right now, or wasn't my... Okay, there there are some other scriptures that mitigate the questions that we have. Some questions that we have. Some. But I, don't, I, think, I think it's good for us just to start with how dead serious this is to Jesus before then we get into the way that we, that we navigate moving forward, because there is hope. Okay, if you're in a situation that's not easy, and you're trying to please Jesus with your life, and 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 so maybe some things have happened, maybe some decisions that have been made, maybe some decisions have been made by you. This doesn't pin you down to a lifetime of feeling like you're a disgrace in the eyes of God. There's just a lot of times what people feel, but I think it's good for us to talk about this, Dave, because the pendulum of convenience-based marriage thinking has swung so far mm-hmm. to the it's no big deal side that we need to, I think, contrast that to the way that Jesus thought about it because we have a rampant epidemic of marriage breakdown in our society, partially because we have left this rooted pillar of an idea of marriage covenant uh, from the way that the New Testament teaches it. And if you've never been married yet, Maybe you're listening to this and you're a young adult and you're thinking about it. Number one, make sure the person you get married to is someone you want to be in a covenant with. Number two, 
go into that marriage with a seriousness about your marriage relationship because you want to view this from God's perspective. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about the nuances now. Okay. So So the first one is mentioned by Jesus. Yeah. Wait, wait. When you say nuance, we're talking about reasons that Jesus would give. The New Testament has given us some scriptures that indicate when it is okay to accept a divorce as an outcome that is uh, not sinful, not unholy, not a compromise. Right. Okay. Can I can I quickly frame where this conversation probably will go? Yeah. We're going to talk about some of the nuances of other reasons for why marriage could end that Paul or the New Testament talks about. Then we're going to talk about remarriage. Remarriage, which is even more complicated than the divorce. Uh huh. And ultimately, like. The reason we're doing this, I just need to frame this again. I don't think this gets talked about a lot, but it's such an intense statement by Jesus. We can't gloss over or walk past this. And I think like everybody needs to understand what the Bible actually says. Like someday all of us are going to stand before God and have to give an account of our lives. And so we we should know what the standards are that Jesus has outlined for us. And it's intense, but it's good to know. Yeah. So yeah, there, there's going to be a degree of, of some grace and some nuance that comes in, but it's not it's not really dismissed. But no. I just want to give give the framework for this before yeah, we go in. So exactly. why, why and, don't you give some and, of the... And we may not get to it all in one episode. We might have to do a second follow-up episode. Let's see where we get. Yeah. We got time. We, we'll, we'll go as far as we can go with this. Yeah, okay. So let's just talk about what was in Matthew chapter 19 and the things that Jesus said. First, he says, the one who can accept this should accept it. And it kind of gives you the feeling like this would probably be the most ideal and highest calling way of approaching this. To be single. It, yeah, after a divorce that might happen or, or whatever. Well, but, but, but in this context, too, the disciple said it's better not to get married. It, so yeah, yeah, after a divorce okay. or before a marriage, yeah. it's the best so, outcome is to be I, I guess that's one thing we should say is if you find yourself single, God... The scripture does not look at singleness as incompleteness. No, not at all. It, it, it doesn't look at it as a secondary strata of society, mm-hmm. like the married people are the blessed ones and the ones that are single. Actually, singleness in the New Testament, according to what Jesus said, and later we might get to it in First Corinthians chapter seven, is the higher way of living. Yeah, where you devote yourself one hundred percent to the purpose of God, mm-hmm. and so if you're single, you are in no way lacking something. Yeah. You don't have to have the romantic version of life to live a fulfilling, complete, uh, contented existence. Okay, so, but Jesus says not everyone can accept that assignment in life, mm-hmm. right? Paul says later in 1 Corinthians 7, it's better to marry than burn with passion. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah. The second thing he says is the exception that Jesus mentions is a lifestyle of adultery. If you are being cheated on perpetually by the person you're married to, and that situation is grievous beyond what can be repaired, then in that case, it is acceptable to to get a divorce. Mm-hmm. That's what it, that basically what it says there, right? So that's one exception to the covenant clause that yes, adultery. And, uh, because we may not necessarily love the way God loves, yeah. <laughs> is one of those acceptable uh, off-ramps. I've heard it taught before. I remember learning this in, in, when I was in Bible school, that the, 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 phrase, the phraseology, the way he puts it, I guess, in Greek, 
actually like sort of leans into the idea that where it says except in the case of sexual morality because at that point the covenant's already been broken. Okay. It's not just that it's a reason to break the covenant. It's a yeah. broken covenant and at this point already. It does include here in this sentence, let me just read it again, verse 9, Matthew 19, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality yeah. and marries another woman commits adultery. Right. What seems to be implied in the statement is if there is sexual immorality mm-hmm. and there's a divorce, that that implies potential for remarriage. Mm-hmm. It's not... So there's a difference between things in the Scripture that are directly stated mm-hmm. and things that are inferred. Right. What we never get is a direct statement of when remarriage is good. Mm-hmm. In fact, we get other Scriptures. I'll pull one up now. Romans chapter 7 says like this, verse 1, Don't you know, brothers and sisters, I'm speaking to those who know the law of God. The, that law has authority over someone as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he's alive. Mm-hmm. Um, but if he dies, she's released from the law that binds her to him. Mm-hmm. So then if she has sexual relationships with another man while her husband is still alive, she's called an adulteress. Mm-hmm. But if her husband dies, she's released from that law and is not an adulteress. So this basically says if your former spouse is still living... But we combine that with Jesus' statements about sexual immorality. There does seem to be some implication that, like you said, sexual immorality breaks the covenant, and therefore there is the, uh, uh, an idea that remarriage potentially could take place. Again, it's a complicated balance of these two passages together. Right, so so that's the first exception I guess you'd see. There's another passage that's a very key passage for this discussion and it has to do with 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where Paul has this long discussion about marriage and singleness. And in uh, this particular passage, he, he begins to talk to married and unmarried people, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, should I read these verses? Yeah, go ahead, okay, sure. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, To the married I give this command, not I but the Lord. So he, he levels it up a bit. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. That's pretty clear. To the rest, I say, if a brother has a wife who's not a believer and she's willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. So basically he's saying being you being a Christian and your spouse not being a Christian is not, is not enough for the covenant to be broken. Mm-hmm. So I like to say, well, I've now entered covenant with God, and my husband or wife is not, so therefore this marriage is over. No, if, you're, if you get saved while you're married to somebody, you're expected to honor that covenant. If a woman has a husband who's not a believer and he's willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. <laughs> this is a really complicated verse. It is. But as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. And then he says, but how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you save your wife? So, you want to comment or do you want me to to, to give some thoughts about this? Well, that's one of these things again, which... Doesn't actually talk about remarriage, but it does talk about uh, a divorce in the case of abandonment. Yeah. So he seems to give a he seems to give um, exceptions in a case of where 
Especially, especially if two people get married before they're Christians, right? One person becomes a Christian, and the one who is not a believer takes off, abandons, leaves their family. That, at it that says point. they would not be bound by that covenant promise, which would imply, infer that in that situation, you could not only accept a divorce, but potentially could get remarried. Yes, we have to do a little Again, bit of in- inference it's here. In, it's inferred. It isn't directly stated that way. Right, right. Now, let me give you a story. So years ago, Dave, as many years ago, I had a, a woman that came to the church and she gave her life to Jesus. Mm-hmm. She was married. Her, her and her husband had not been getting along for a long time, and they were, they were living separate. They had actually been, I think, separated for over 10 years, but they had never executed the divorce. Right. She came to me and she said, now that I'm a Christian, he's not a Christian. Is it okay if I go ahead and divorce him? Because there's another guy here in the church that I'd like to marry. And I was like, well, let me read you these verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, because it basically says that there is this tie between a husband and wife, that when one person gets saved and the other person who's not saved, that that husband is sanctified or wife is sanctified by the by the believing spouse, meaning that there is an influence the Holy Spirit has to bring them to God. And the kids, if that marriage stays together, the believing spouse brings this holy influence into the, the lives of the children. Right. So I said to her, you know, before you just quickly move to divorce... Maybe we should pause for a moment and ask the question, now that you're a Christian, maybe your faith, maybe there's a tie between you and your husband spiritually, and we should give some space for God to work, because maybe you're going to be a part of winning him to Jesus. Yeah. And she was mad. Woo, she stormed out of my office. She was so, how dare you say this to me? I don't love him anymore. We've been separated for all these years. I don't feel like my covenant is valid anymore. I like this other guy. And I was like, man, that's. Um, I hope I did the right thing by telling her this. And then a couple weeks later, she came back and she said, "Okay, I think you're right. I'm. I feel like the Holy Spirit has spoken to me that I'm going to give it a couple of months and I'm going to pray for him every day, and I'm going to just ask God to bring salvation to my husband. And if he gets saved, he's going to have to change my heart because I don't even love him anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, two weeks later, he came to church." He came forward and gave his life to Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> God answered her prayers. Wow. And so they started to go through through some marriage counseling and they renewed their vows and they got married and they're married today. Wow. That's amazing. And, yeah. So the verse that we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and the the power of the tie of that covenant um is is a, is a force that we sometimes don't recognize how impactful it is. Yeah. So if a couple is going through a marriage struggle and one person is leaning into God and praying and forgiving and asking God to restore, there is a pull that the Holy Spirit uses through that covenant relationship. So it's like you're connected to heaven and you're also connected to your spouse, mm. and there's a heavenly pull that sucks, you know, you your spouse and your family towards God when you're living in that surrendered moment to him. Yeah. Now, sometimes even in those situations, not everything works out like the story I just told you. And sometimes the unbelieving spouse or the one that's lost their mind or filled with rage or living in trauma or is bipolar or whatever the situation might be, 
makes it impossible for the relationship to continue, and they choose to walk away. And in that situation, just like with adultery, it does seem like abandonment is is an impact. Now, I'm going to do something, Dave, here that I don't recommend. I don't even know if this is correct. When I mentioned this to you, you were like, well, where do you get that from? And I was like... So frame it, frame it. Why don't I try try framing this for you? (laughs) So this to me, I know what you're going to say. (laughs) And I I don't disagree with it really, but I'm trying to frame it. What what you're going to say now is probably something that we're like doing, you're doing as a pastor for the concern of your people. Right. And... Uh, it, you, I would even say for this, it's probably because Scripture is the foundation for our life, use this with caution. Yeah. This is not a quick thing to do. But, but this th- one actually might be more obvious culturally today yeah, than the other two that I no just mentioned. Doubt. No so doubt. if we said the Bible gives this permission for adultery and for abandonment to be covenant-ending situations, yeah. the one that I'm going to mention is abuse. Mm-hmm. Now, Let's let's step back from that word for a moment. I have seen people use the word abuse so casually, mm-hmm. like emotional abuse, verbal abuse. And then when you really get down to it and you ask what exactly have they done or said, that word is being... So that word is like pressing the nuclear button in the relationship. Mm-hmm. So anytime somebody says, well, he's abusing me or she's abusing me, that's like, boom, all conversation ends because it's now entered uh, a stage of something that almost feels like a crime. Yeah. Okay. So anytime someone throws abuse around, I always say, qualify that. What specifically did they say? What specifically are they doing? Can we actually define it as abuse? But now let's just talk about some, a, a husband is beating up his wife repeatedly mm. and is risking the lives of the children in the household. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. First of all, immediately there should be some separation. No doubt. No steps doubt. taken to create protection from abuse orders and let the police know. And yes, uh, and there should be no res- resumption of living in the same space until there's a long period of proving when life change. And because now we're putting people at risk. Yes. Okay. No doubt. I think abuse could become an extension of abandonment in a way. Mm. Because it really is not just I'm leaving you, which is an easier way of, of ending the relationship. This is um, I'm, I'm leaving you because I'm putting this situation and relationship, your physical body, your well-being at risk yeah. perpetually. Yeah. Yeah. And therefore, there's no way for you to stay present yeah. in this situation. And again, let's go back to that phrase in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It says, for God has called us to live at peace. Yes, yes. So where there is a, this lack of physical and emotional peace, you would have to say that that could also qualify. Sure. Even though there's never a time in the Scripture where that one is mentioned, I actually think that it, it fits within the spirit of what we hear being said in these two passages of Matthew 19 and 1 Corinthians 7. Even in that situation, I don't think we rush to the legal action of divorce. I think we take all the other actions— of separation and protection, and divorce becomes maybe an eventual thing that we would move to. That sounds that probably sounds radical, but again, let, let, let's frame this with the seriousness of the covenant so, that we enter into. Yeah, I, I don't think we ever rush to divorce. Yeah. I, I always think it's good to, to realize that there there is an option before divorce, and that's separation. And you can actually separate from your spouse and work on yourself with the potential of thinking that maybe one day we might be able to work on the marriage. 
And it, a lot of times what the only thing divorce really gets you is the potential to start to date and remarry. Yeah. So it's better to separate and wait and pray and see what God does and work on yourself. And then eventually divorce can be something that you may accept. In, in these cases. In these cases. But don't, I don't think we rush to it. Okay. Right? Now, here's the situations that are completely, obviously unacceptable. Meaning? So let's say... Unacceptable meaning I, I, okay, what? Okay, I'll, I'll paint the picture. I have, I have seen this so many times. I have personal friends, pastors... They're married. Their their wife is a Christian. And they just decide, I don't want to be married anymore. I don't want to be your husband. I'm going to break this covenant. I'm going to go on, and I'm going to find another person, and I'm going to divorce you and marry them. Because they make me happy and you And I'm still going to call myself a Christian, and I'm going to still want to serve in ministry, but I'm just out of personal emotions and convenience and lack of attraction and preferences going to end the marriage and just move on with my life to okay, someone else. To me, that is clearly a violation of Scripture, and the Bible would say that that is... It's it's as if you're committing ongoing adultery. Rewind for yeah. a second. Let's, okay, let's, no, it's let's, really let's, strong let's, what I just no, said. No, 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 it's yeah. great, it's great, but <laughs> let's, let's, let's define what like it said. This would be, that don't make me happy anymore, we don't want the same things, they want this, I want this, we fight all the time, we don't get along... I, they're not the same person I was when 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 we got married. Um, there's all these different things, and and typically it, it revolves around this person is sapping my energy. They're killing my joy. We can't get along. This seems like it's an unworkable contractual relationship in a sense. It's not covenantal thinking. So based on that, those are not valid reasons. No, they're not valid. No, for divorce. Still, in it God's might be. Eyes. It might. Uh, so okay, I realized that. If you're in that situation right now and you're lonely and hurting, that, that this is not what you want to hear, right? No, right. You you want to you want to hear that there's an out, okay? And I get it. Maybe maybe your spouse is really annoying, and maybe they're really miserable, and maybe or they're, they're a huge jerk. Yeah, they're a huge jerk, <laughs> and you are you are tied to somebody. So when you think for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, and sickness and health until death do us part, and you got worse, you got poorer. And you got sickness. Maybe it's not even physical; it's mental. Mm. And you're tied now to this person. And okay, it's it would be better. This would this used to be an option that people would pursue to live single and separated than to divorce. Mm-hmm. It would be better to be to live single and separated than to divorce. So let, let's let me let me ask this question a different way. By the horrible, way, horrible, horrible, horrible situation. Yeah, 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 yeah. But singleness unto God, again, let's go back to the Matthew 19 Jesus advice statement here, isn't a second best. Mm-hmm. Isn't an easy mm-hmm. situation, but it isn't a second best. In fact, in this season of your life, God may do more through you and in you than what you've ever thought about. But the covenantal ties don't break in worse and in poorer and in sickness. Yeah. They break potentially. There, there can be this potential for accepting the end of something for the three things we mentioned: adultery, ongoing adultery, abandonment, and abuse. Those are the three that we would put the category in. So now, let me let me circle back. Let's say you made a series of bad decisions, and you're now in a covenant relationship with someone new, and you look back and you say, "I wish I had this information ten years ago." What do I do now? One of the things that's said repeatedly in First Corinthians chapter seven is. 
when you come to salvation or an awareness of what the Scripture teaches, let's just say, mm-hmm. you remain in the state that, in, in which you are. You don't, So if you're in a marriage now, that's your covenant. Don't look back. Don't carry guilt. Move on from this moment forward with the right mindsets, okay? Um, and whatever state you're in, Paul says, if you're single, don't seek to get married. Okay, if God brings around the right person and there's someone you want to covenant with, great. Um, if you if you feel like you're going to burn with passion and you need to get married to deal with that, okay, get married. But if you're single, don't see that as second best. If you're married and you're married to someone that isn't a Christian, stay there and be faithful in it. If you're married to someone who's not going to leave you and isn't committing adultery on you, stay there and trust God to do a miracle in that situation. If you made a series of bad decisions and you're in that situation you're in now, stay there and be faithful to God in the midst of it. And don't live on. Don't live under a sentence of guilt and judgment for the past. God wants you to help you move on from here. But if you're navigating through these waters, these kinds of things should help inform your choices. Well, again, the reason why I wanted to do this topic, I know this is so sensitive and so painful, and this can be like the rock bottom of somebody's life, and it's like a punch to the gut. But shouldn't you at least want to know what Jesus says? If you're following Jesus, at least I would want to know this. I'd rather I'd rather know. Like it, it's at least at least then it's sure. like, am I going to choose to follow Jesus? Well, and well, this is one of those separators. Now. True followers of Jesus do not make happiness the guiding principle of their life. Yeah, true followers of Jesus make obedience the center of their life. Yeah, and what makes Christians different from the rest of the world is that we are not in the constant pursuit of happiness. Yeah. We're in the constant pursuit of the pleasure of God yeah. and living for his purpose. Even if it makes us completely unhappy. Yeah. And that makes us different. Yeah. And the world has put happiness on the altar. It's and it's made it the god of everything. And my personal fulfillment and satisfaction is the be all and end all. And if you if you if raining on my parade or undermining my happiness Somehow you're victimizing me. And listen, that's not how Jesus' followers think. No. We, we, we do not make decisions through the filter of what's going to make me most happy. And I'll just say it. You see in the movies all the time, what I want for my kids is I just want them to be happy. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> I want them to be people of character. I want yeah. them to be great. I want them to be virtuous. I hope that they're happy too, but I know that in their lives they won't always be. And they have to have something more to hold on to than their own happiness. And if they're just chasing down their happiness all the time, oh my goodness, those are the most miserable people on earth. (laughs) You have to live for something greater than yourself. And I know that that's the backdrop of this. And so, but then if Dave, if you go to Ephesians 5, you see how Paul describes how husbands should love their wives and how wives should respond to their husbands. And then he says, and this is a mystery, and it's not just the mystery of a husband and wife. It's how Jesus responds to his church. What's at stake with the image and the metaphor of relationship, which we see in family and marriage, is how God looks at us mm. and how we're supposed to look at him. Yeah. And the great news here is that God is never going to divorce you. Yeah. Even on your worst day, even when you commit adultery against him and worship other things, he will not divorce you. He is... He is not a man or woman who, that will betray you. He is going to be faithful unto death. That's the way God loves us. And that's his ideal for relationships in society. Mm-hmm. And in order to keep our side of the covenant and follow Jesus, 
sometimes it means having these hard conversations where we decide whether we're going to die to ourselves yeah. and carry the cross, which is what Jesus said, carry our own cross to follow in his footsteps and actually submit to him, which is what being a Christian means. It means yeah. in these inconvenient, hard things to say, I choose this, yeah, even against what I want. I should have researched this earlier. This is a great story. There, this has happened years ago now. A president of a Bible college called CBC. We went to a CBC, yeah, both Dave yeah. and I, but this was a CBC in South Carolina. Uh, he had just reached the pinnacle of his career, right? He's been elected to the president of this Bible college. He's thriving in every area of ministry. And then his wife got early onset Alzheimer's. And he had to make the decision of what am I going to do now with my life? Obviously, that isn't a happiness situation. But his covenant vow to his wife was, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health, to death do his part. So he resigned from his presidency and took on a job that he could do so that he could give full-time attention to his wife. And for the rest of his life, his highest calling was to be her husband. Wow. And obviously that isn't a recipe for happiness. It isn't a recipe for success. It isn't a a recipe for advancement or promotion, but it was a, it's a God honoring covenant, honoring virtuous way to live. Yeah. And so, and when we think we think about that, we think that's gorgeous. That's beautiful. Yeah, that's the kind of marriage that I want to have. I want to have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, I, I say that to Mel now. Like, what? You know, we're married thirty six years. I say, I'm in it till we die. Mm-hmm. Like, whatever that means. If you get sick, if you lose your mind, <laughs> I. I will be by your side. I know I know what you like. I know what you're afraid of. I'll, I'll protect you. I'll stand in there with you. That's, that's um, awesome. And I, and I hope, and I know she says the same thing to me. I mean, yeah. isn't this what we want? We want to have that kind of lifetime commitment to each other. So, yeah, there's something too. I, 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 this is a separate conversation, but one I've been thinking about. Something too about just like a person making a decision like that that speaks of like honor that I think our culture doesn't think about. You know, we're we're always, you know, our culture is so sacrilegious and and um, irreverent is the word I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. There's no reverence, but I like hearing somebody who makes their life a sacrifice like that. There's speaks to something on the inside of me. You know, it's yeah. like it resonates with like that's the kind of person I want to be who sacrifices for the right things and lives, you know, according to to principles and standards of submission to Jesus and. You know, I think at some point in the future, an episode of Honor would be interesting to me. But anyway, yeah. yeah well, I, I realize this is a very difficult conversation to have. Yeah, and if we were <laughs> we were stalling this one for months, yeah. it's like it'll come eventually. Well, in some ways, this is more of an issue than the pride and pronouns s- s- situation we talked about sure. the last season. Sure, it's a little bit more sensitive, and 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 I think in some ways the. What's at stake with this is as important as anything when it comes to sexual integrity and the view of marriage and family. And because oftentimes we talk about only the issues that have to do with LGBTQ, mm-hmm. but this is probably a more common problem and challenge that we divorce have. Divorce and remarriage yeah. from an unbiblical perspective, yeah. right? Which is not living. It's not submitting to Jesus this way, and it doesn't get talked about very much. Yeah. And it probably should be taught more often. So, you know, 
At least this is a start to uncover yeah, the teaching. If you of are Jesus. in a situation and you're not sure what to do, and you just heard this in this podcast, um, and you need to talk to somebody, we our podcast is not so big, and our lives are not so crazy that we don't have time for you. Hmm. And we we will make time to have an individual conversation about how you need to process. And if not, Dave and I, someone qualified on our team would love to be able to be in your your world. And I'm serious about that. You just let us know that you want to talk and we'd be, we would be happy to do so. And the, the last, let me just end with this thing of hope as well. There is something that that is given you know to us, which is God's grace for following difficult decisions. And when you choose to follow Jesus, he does provide what you need, the grace and, and yeah. the, the consistency and the patience and provision and finances. God takes care of us when we choose to, to honor his word. And sometimes yeah. you have a story like that lady you talked about who and all I, of a sudden I, there's I, this I tell you, I watch one husband be cheated on by his wife repeatedly. They separated, then he chose to pursue her. They got, you know, their vows renewed. He suffered. Oh my goodness, how he suffered in the midst of learning all the things he needed to learn. But he went from being a, a baby Christian before all that happened to him, to becoming a giant man. Wow. Like I saw him lean into God and learn how to pray and grab hold of the promises of God and make the hard decisions. And I, he became someone that I was ministering to and, and he was transformed into someone that I greatly admired. Wow. And oftentimes it's the painful places in life that build you into the, the massive man or woman of character God wants you to be. Not... Not, a, not, not, not that the suffering itself is intended by God to do that, but there is a crucible of relational pain that sometimes builds us into something more. That's awesome. Yeah, so that's that's a good way to end on hope. Why don't we just, you also want to pray yeah, for anybody pray. who's in difficult situations like this right now? God, we pray, you know, James says that if we lack wisdom, that we should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it'll be given to them. So we pray wisdom and revelation. We pray comfort and grace. We pray for clarity and peace, and we ask, Lord, for a way forward, one step at obedience at a time. Uh, relational healing, yes, but we pray just that we would be able to find the God-pleasing solutions in whatever complicated situations we're in. in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thanks again for joining us um, on the Alice Park Leadership Podcast. We appreciate you as always, and you know, we would love it if you would just take a second to do one of the following, help us spread the word. You can you know, uh, if, you're if you're watching on YouTube, you can, you know, um, subscribe and, and like this video. You can always share this on social media. You can leave us a five-star review on whatever platform that you're that you're listening to this or watching this on. And that just really helps us to, you know, to, to help more people as we're able to. So we appreciate you so much. Hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll see you guys again next time.